In our passage today, some people might not be sure about maybe one particular ingredient in the thing that we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about three things. The first one is love, and everyone, we're all about love, right? We like love. Love is, love is good, especially God's love for us and Jesus' love for us. So love is good. So that's like the top layer of the sandwich there. The third thing is joy, right? These are great things, right? We love joy, all excited about joy. It's a joyful time. We all want to be joyful. You know what the middle ingredient? That's the, that's the bread and butter pickles right there. You know what that is? It's obedience. And you're like, oh, man, obedience. And you just, you look at that and you're like, okay, I get the love. I get the joy. I'm not quite sure how the obedience gets in there. Can't, can't you just give me something a little sweeter like fluff or Nutella or something that's really nice? Because then I'm really going to dig into that. But you put obedience in there, a big, fat, juicy slice of obedience, and you're like, ah, Pastor Mark, I don't, I don't agree with that. And I don't see how that combination is going to make me happy. I don't see how that's going to bring me joy. Jesus wants us and his disciples to experience his joy and also to make our joy absolutely complete. you believe that? That's what Jesus wants for us. Hence the title of today's sermon, Complete Joy. So we broke this passage down into three parts. Uh, we're going to look at those three parts. And if you want to kind of label them in your heads, it might be, I think it's in your bulletins. You have the command, you have the condition, and you have the conclusion. So the first part is the command. The command, and here we have the love aspect, is to live in his love, verse 9. And again, we need to continue to remember that as Jesus is saying these things, he is still thinking about fruit and the disciples bearing good fruit. So this is what Jesus says, verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. In the original fairy tale version of Wizard of Oz, the tin man, the tin woodman, uh, had once been a real man, and he was, he was in love with a beautiful maiden. He dreamed of marrying her. The witch hated their love, so she cast a spell on him so that one by one his limbs had to be replaced with artificial tin ones. The tin limbs still allowed him to work, but like a machine. Uh, So with a heart of love for his maiden and arms that never tired, he just kept on working, 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 and he seemed destined to win over the witch's spell. But the tin man said, I thought I had beaten the wicked witch, and I worked harder than ever, but little, little did I know how cruel she could be. The wicked witch made the tin man's axe slip and cut himself in half. And even though a tinner was able to fasten him back together, he had lost his heart. So that he had lost all his love for the girl, and he didn't care whether he would marry her or not. Many of you know the rest of the story. 
He began to rust and remaining in the spot until Dorothy came and uh, began his journey to Oz. In the book by Frank Baum, the Tin Man tells Dorothy, during the year that I stood there, I had time to think. He said, the greatest loss that I'd ever known was the loss of my heart. While I was in love, I was the happiest man on earth. I look at that illustration, I look at what Jesus is saying here, and, and one of the first aspects that we have to understand about Christianity is it is founded on love. It is founded on love, and it continues in love. Jesus is concerned about something here. He's concerned that we remain in his love, but also that we remain in love with him. And it reminds me of when Jesus addresses the church in Ephesus, the first church in the book of Revelation. And they're kind of just like that tin man. They're doing all of these things. They are working so, so hard They're doing all of these deeds, but what does he have against them? They no longer love him. That relationship has grown cold, artificial, and mechanical, and the same thing can happen in our Christian lives, folks. Jesus isn't talking about doing, he's talking about being, and he's talking about being in a continual loving relationship with him. This is what he wants. It's a command. And the reason why he gives the command is because it's a possibility that we can take ourselves or remove ourselves from the experience of his love. He's not talking about salvation here. We have to make that clear. He's talking about experiencing the blessings of his love, the power of his love, the benefits of that love And the problem is not that God or Jesus does not love us. The problem, folks, is that we remove ourselves from that love. Jesus, throughout this passage, gives a parallel. And the parallel is between his relationship with the Father and his relationship with us. And let's... Let's start by looking at what he's not saying uh, before we talk about what he is saying. Like I said, he's, he's not talking about that if we remove ourselves from that love that we're no longer saved. Jesus is focusing on an abiding relationship with him and continuing to say that abiding in him, continuing this one-on-one communication, this abiding, loving Obeying relationship with him is what is going to bear fruit in the lives of the disciples. The key is this continual fellowship. He's not talking about losing the salvation. But notice what he says here, and I love what James Boyce says in his commentary. How many people, how many people love to hear when people say they love you? Is that okay? If you don't, I won't ever tell you again. That's okay. I don't have to. No, no, tell me you hate me. I don't like you one bit. <laughs> you can, it, it, when I was, James Boyce in his commentary, he says, you know, Jesus does two things here. What is fascinating about this, and I just should blow your mind, is the love for the disciples and for us is complete. It is an absolute completed love. He goes, I have loved you. 
when is he saying this? He's saying it before the cross. Even before Jesus goes to the cross, he's like, I've already done that in his own heart and mind. Now, that's a, wow, what a pattern for love, right? What a pattern for love. I've loved you. Can we say that to our spouses? It's already done. It's complete. There's never going to be a moment when I will not love you. Can we say that to each other here in this church? I have loved you. And Jesus not only says it, he shows it. And how wonderful that is when someone tells us they love us and we know it's true. It always breaks my heart whenever I hear stories about children or uh, spouses within relationships and they never hear those words. Love is expressed. And Jesus says it. And he loves us with the same measure that the Father loves him. Let me ask you something. Is the Father's love for Jesus Christ ever going to stop? Do you think Jesus' love for us is ever going to stop? No. Whose love stops? Right here. Doesn't it? We fall out of love with him because we fall more in love with this world sometimes. Jesus wants us to remain. It's a It's a constant state. He wants us to set up our homes in his love because he knows that's the best place for us. Where we're experiencing his work in our lives, where we're experiencing his grace, where we're experiencing his blessings. But we often fall out of love with him, and then we can become like that tin man. And our relationship is artificial. It's mechanical. Maybe we're coming to church. Maybe we're even involved in a ministry, but guess what? We've fallen out of love with Jesus. And if we're like that, we're not really producing the fruit that he wants us to produce. So does everyone agree that we should try to remain in Jesus' love? Okay, so may, may, you're probably wondering, Pastor Mark, how do we do that? I'm really glad you asked that question, because that brings us to the next point, which is the condition, and this is the, this is the, these are the pickles. These are the things that we don't want. What's the condition that he's talking about? It's obeying his orders. Oh, those words, right? So verse 10, listen to what he's saying. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And again, look at the parallel. Just as I have kept, past tense, my Father's commandments, and I abide, present tense, in His love. Philip Yancey shares a story. He writes of a friend of his, and her name was Susan. If your name's Susan and you're out here, this is not you. I'm not, so don't think it. Susan was a Christian, is a Christian, according to Yancey, according to Susan. 
And Susan told Yancey something about her husband. She said, quote, that her husband did not measure up. I'm going to stop there for a second. <laughs> Ladies, if you're planning on getting married, or I, men, you're planning on getting married, or, or, or if you're in a relationship, there are going to be many times that those individuals, guess what? Are they going to measure up? They are not going to measure up. So if you have these expectations of people and they need to be perfect all the time, that it, you need to just leave those at the door. That is not going to happen. We, we don't, us men, we don't measure up. And sometimes the ladies don't measure up, but we, we all fall short of measuring up. So I don't know what Susan's expectations were, but they obviously were not being met at this time. So what did Susan, the Christian, decide to do? Well, she, quote, was actively looking for other men to meet her needs for intimacy, end of quote. Okay, Susan has a problem. Her needs are not being fulfilled in her life, so Susan is going to turn to God and pray and ask Him for help and strength. And No, Susan is going to fix her own problem. There's more to this. She also mentioned something else to Mr. Yancey. It was a habit that she had. You know what her habit was? It was to wake up every morning early and spend an hour in prayer with the Father. Yancey naturally asks a question. <laughs> and he says, in, meeting, in your meetings with the Father... Do any moral issues come up that might influence this pending decision about leaving your, your husband? I mean, isn't it natural, right? I mean, here you are, you're meeting with God Almighty. Susan didn't like that question. She bristled. And her response is really harsh. She goes, that sounds like the response of a white Anglo-Saxon male. I don't know what that has to do with morality. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> However, she, she says this. Listen, listen to this. This is the kicker. The father and I, the father and I are into relationship, not morality. Relationship means being wholly supportive and standing alongside of me, not judging. No bread and butter pickles in that sandwich, is there? You, this should blow our minds. I, you, first of all, I, I don't even know where to go with this one because I'm all over. Where, you tell me what, what relationship on earth functions in this way. You tell me, right? And what, what father... Or, or mother and, and daughter and parent to child relationship functions like this. Oh, Dad, I, hey, I'm really sorry. I just stole your car. And, and, and when I stole it, I was driving 90. And you know what happened? I just oh, launched and I landed in a pond, something that I've always wanted to do for some reason. But, and then you come back home, hey, your car is destroyed, but good thing I didn't get arrested. Is, and then the, oh, 
that's okay because I love you. Here, let's go. Come on, Bob, do you want a sandwich? Can I make you a sandwich? Peanut butter, bread, or chicken pick, pickles? Here you go. Here's a have a sandwich. Let's sit down. Don't worry about what you did. I love you. We're in a relationship. I could care less that you just wrecked our car and disobeyed me. Is that what happens? No. If it does, you need some counseling. What parent does that? What type of relationship is that? You're telling me you can break the rules and still be in a, in a loving, abiding fellowship with your parents? That's not how it worked. In my house, I was in the room, right? And I knew there was a wall and doors, and it said, you're, you're in trouble. We had a doghouse. We had a doghouse. It was a little wooden thing, little puppies with all our names on it. <laughs> yeah, Mark. Right? I was, I was living there in that house. Why? Because they're trying to help me in life. We may want a relationship with God, and He wants a relationship or fellowship with us, but it is not at the expense of holiness, brothers and sisters, at all. And I, I wish... I wish that Susan was the exception. It seems like she's the rule within Christianity, and the rule is God's not about rules. He's about relationships, and relationships trump rules. Is that what Jesus says here? No. He's saying again, and again, the reciprocal is, if, I, if I'm loving Jesus, then I want to obey Him. That's just natural. And I want to obey Him not out of fear, not out of duty, out of love. Out of love. And I want to remain in His love because I love Him. I want what's best for me, yes, but I also want to please Him because He, he suffered and died for me. He gave me this life. It's the least I can do. But it seems to be the rule in Christianity that we just separate obedience. And we call it legalism and we call it moralism. And that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about fellowship. The word here for keep means to Retain or to hold on to, or, or better, what I really like, it means to cause a state to continue. That's a great idea behind that word. You're causing this state of obedience to continue. And the word for commandments, it's writs, it's orders, it's commandments. <laughs> and he's going to give them one of his commandments next, next week. Not next week, next week for us, but in like two seconds for them. And if you, want, if you want to really understand this aspect, so John, John the author is paying really, uh, he's paying attention to this. Because what he's going to do is in 1 John, he's going to expand on this idea. So if you want it in detail, go into 1 John and see what he's talking about with regards to abiding. Starting in the very beginning in 1 John, he says, 
if we say, and I'm kind of summarizing this, if we say we have fellowship, there's the word, right? There's the word. If we say we have fellowship with Jesus Christ, but if we walk in darkness, we're lying. Meaning, you don't have this good, healthy relationship that you say you have if you are living in constant willful disobedience. It's impossible. And then he says this, so Jesus is not talking about perfection. Jesus is the only one who is perfect. Jesus is talking about making this a goal, and John's going to help us out. He says, if we have no sin, we are what? Deceiving ourselves. So you're not going to be perfect. We're going to sin all the time. However, if we sin, we have an advocate. If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Two aspects there. Well, three really. Confession means I'm coming to the Lord on a regular basis and I'm saying, hey, I'm a jerk, right? I did this. This is wrong. Lord, help me in this. I'm struggling in this. You're admitting to him he's forgiving and what else is he doing? He's cleansing. That's the sanctification process. He's cleaning our hearts so that we don't fall into that sin anymore. So that, that sin becomes not as, not a, have, have such a strong grip in our lives. That's the relationship. That's what he's talking about. Keeping short accounts with him because we love him and because we want to remain in that love. By no means is he saying that we need to be perfect, but if, but if you and I are continually walking in willful disobedience, the, the fellowship is broken, just like when we were children. And we have to see here that obedience, love, and fellowship go hand in hand. They all go together. And I can imagine what the disciples are thinking because they're used to commandments, right? They had hundreds of commandments in the Old Testament. And there are the moral commandments that we still always keep. And then you had all the the ceremonial commandments. What are the commandments that Jesus is, is giving to us? Well, he gives one next week. And what is it? What's it based on? Love. We see that? Isn't that a reasonable commandment, to, to love one another? He's not, he's not asking us to, to do incredible things. As a matter of fact, he's asking us to do what we ought to do, right? And his, his commandments are not burdensome. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. And yes, there's moral commands. There has to be. God is a a moral, perfect being. And if we claim to represent Him, then we should walk like Him. If we claim to follow Jesus, then what does Jesus say? Just as I have what? Kept. I've done it. You got to follow suit, brother. If you want to stay and abide with me, Follow me. What am I doing? I'm, he's perfect. It, it's not, again, this isn't justification by works. This is the result of justification within our sanctification, showing 
that we have been changed by Jesus Christ. The only way we do this is how? Abiding, right? Because apart from Him, you can do absolutely nothing. What happens is we want to try to make ourselves happy, and we think that disobedience and following the ways of this world, that's what brings us happiness and actually it just robs us from it. You know when you were a teacher, you, I mean when you were a teacher, when you were a student, some of you might have been teachers, still are. It, when you were a student, what was it, you remember writing on the chalkboard if you ever, you ever got in trouble? You know, someone's laughing. They never, I never wrote on the chalkboard. I now don't remember writing, Mark should not put tax on student seats. You know, because I, they weren't stupid enough to leave me alone with a piece of chalk and a blank chalkboard for an hour. That would just be, I'd be writing for the rest of my life. But, but why did they, any good teacher, right? Any good teacher, whether good or bad, is going to use what? Repetition. Repetition. Over and over and over and over and over again. If they want to stop a behavior or if they want to get a behavior ingrained into our brains, right? Repetition. This is just a sampling. Jesus has been repeating himself. He's just saying it in different ways. And it all has to do with love, obedience, and fellowship over and over. And then John picks up on it, and then John says it again in different ways. But it all has to do with the same thing. What do you think Jesus is trying to get across to us? Obedience is, is important. And we can't go through the Bible and, and think that God is all about love and, and relationship apart from obedience. It's, it's just not there. It's an integral part of the sandwich. And it's key to what he says next. Because what happens when we're not remaining in his love, we're like the tin man. We're not joyful. We are the most joyful people when we're remaining in the love of Jesus Christ. And that's the conclusion of what he says. It is jam-packed, overflowing, abundant, complete joy. Verse 11. Why are you saying these things, Jesus? These things I have spoken to you so that Number one, my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus, you're not speaking, so we often think of Christianity as what? The opposite. Oh, he just wants to make us unhappy. It's so miserable. I can't take it. All these rules, all these things. And he says just the opposite. It's not to make you miserable. He wants to give you true joy, a joy that this world can't give us. 
Lord Kenneth Clark was internationally known for his television series, Civilization. He lived and died without faith in Jesus Christ. He admitted in his autobiography at one point, while visiting a beautiful church, he had what he believed to be an overwhelming religious experience. He wrote this, My whole being was irradiated by a kind of heavenly joy far more intense than anything I had ever known before. He continues, or the, the, the author just continues to say, But that flood of grace, as Lord Kenneth described it, created a problem for him. He said if he allowed himself to be influenced by it, he knew he would have to change. His family might think that he had lost his mind. And he said, and maybe that intense joy would have proven to be just an illusion. So he concluded, I was too deeply embedded in this world to change course. Now, that's an unbeliever and subjective experience. However, I think that many times we make the same trade as believers. Number one, we don't think that that joy is attainable. We, we don't think it's real. And what we think is real is what we've known all along is the joys that this world brings us, is the joys that sin brings us. And what we do is the same thing that Lord Kenneth Clark did here. We trade in true joy because, well, we're too deeply embedded in this world. And when we do that, I promise you, you're never going to be satisfied. Jesus wants to give us not just his peace, but his joy. It's supernatural joy. It's an abiding joy, and it's an abundant joy. I want to stop here for a second. How is this describing Christians then? Should Christians then probably be the most joyful people on earth? I think so, right? Yeah. Are we joyful or are we jerkful? I feel like I'm more jerkful sometimes. I'm more miserable at times. And I wonder, I wonder within Christianity, you know, why are we not seeing more joyful Christians? And maybe this is the reason. Maybe we're not abiding in his love. But notice the two things that Jesus offers us in, within this section. 
He offers us peace and joy. Do you know this world is seeking those things every single day of their lives? Peace and joy, peace and joy. And they are looking for it in all the wrong places. The only place that you and I can have a peace that transcends all understanding and a joy that surpasses no matter what the circumstances is in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. That's the only place that can be found. That's the message of Christmas. That's the hope of Christmas. That in Jesus Christ, who takes away the sin of this world, who, who is going to one day reverse the curse of this world, in him is found true peace and true joy. It is a joy that surpasses all of our circumstances. It is a joy that remains with us no matter what, and it's a joy that's not lacking anything. It's complete. No matter what happens, when those earthly comforts are taken away, when the waves crash against our souls, when our spirits are tried and tested and tried by fire, that joy will remain because we remain in His love. Do you believe that in Jesus Christ, you have absolutely everything you need for this life. I really, really hope so. That's what he's saying. And it's a joy that is contagious. It's a joy that this world does not know. And it's a joy that when we have that joy, they ask questions about it. It's attainable, it's abounding, and it's abiding. It remains with us. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? So this is what it means to bear fruit. This is one of the fruits that he's talking about. And it's because we are living in obedience It's because we're living in love with Him. And the result of that is a joyful Christian life. People think that God is a killjoy and that God's rules are a killjoy. I'll tell you what's a killjoy. Sin is is the killjoy. That's the killjoy. You notice what David says in Psalm 51.12. Let me listen to what he says here. 51.12, he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Notice he doesn't say restore to me the salvation. He says restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to do what? Well, walk in obedience to sustain me. What happened in Psalm 51? What psalm is that? What did David do? That's his confession psalm with regards to Bathsheba and Uriah. What happened when David was living, or when David committed that heinous, awful sin, what happened to the joy of his salvation? Out the door. It's gone. 
And if you're wondering where your joy went, well, this might be the answer. We tend to think the opposite. You know, in in Romans, Paul, Paul says that sin pays out. What does he say that sin pays out? Wages of death. That's how sin pays. So, okay. You got death. Let's fill up our pockets with the change of death. I loved when Pastor Dave did that in that illustration. Fill up our pockets with the change of death. Or you have a joyful life. You choose which one. You want the cologne of death or you want joy. Because every time that we're living and walking in disobedience, that's all we're doing, folks. And it's robbing us of what God wants for our lives. And this joy that we can experience is not just an individual joy, it's a communal joy. If we are all walking in obedience as a community, do you think we're all going to be joyful? Yeah. Am I happy when we're sinning, when I'm sinning, or when when people are living or walking in sin as a body of believers? No. The, The your, when he says your joy might be full or made complete, is plural. It's plural. And he's going to talk about how that this type of joy and this type of relationship is not not found in isolation. It's found in community. That you and I are joyful when we're living in the love of Jesus Christ and we are living in love with each other. Because next week he's going to talk about one of the commandments, which is loving one another. And being joyful and happy together. Joy is found in community of those that are loving Jesus Christ and each other as we abide in Him and walk in obedience. That's a quote from Pastor Dave. I think it's a quote summarized from Pastor Dave's book. How many people want this joy? Want it? Jesus, do you like, so you're okay with the sandwich then right now. (laughs) To you, it's a good sandwich. Famous study followed hundreds of men who graduated from Harvard in 1939 to 1944 throughout their lives into into their 90s. So this is a study into the folks who lived into their 90s. The researcher wanted to know who flourished and who didn't and the decisions that they made that had contributed to their well-being. The lead scholar on the study for many years was Harvard psychiatrist George Vallant. He summarized the results in his book, Triumphs of Experience. Here is the summary in its entirety. Quote, happiness is love, full stop, end of quote. Happiness is love, full stop, end of quote. The current director of the study, uh, Robert Waldinger, filled in the details. He said, in the recent interview, the subjects who were reported having the happiest lives were those with strong family ties, 
close friendships, and rich romantic lives. The subjects who were most depressed and lonely late in life, not to mention more likely to be suffering from dementia, alcoholism, and other problems, were the ones who had neglected close relationships. We can change that around, can't we? They're right. It is love. But it's Jesus' love, isn't it? And we see that living in Christ's love results in what? Our complete joy. Like I said, maybe you're never going to try the peanut butter, jelly, pickle, and cheese sandwich. I implore you, you are definitely missing out in life because I want you to experience that joy. But maybe you still don't think those things belong together. But I really, really, really hope that after today's sermon, you see how important all of these things are, especially what's in the middle there, obedience. And that when you do, you see that that is the recipe for a very, very healthy, vibrant, loving Christian life. Father, Lord, we know so, so many times we... We fail, Lord, and we, we, we are nowhere close to being the, the people who you desire us to be. And we know, Lord, that apart from, from Jesus Christ, apart from your Holy Spirit, we can do absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing. But Lord, you, you have given us your Spirit. You have changed our hearts. You have made us alive in Jesus Christ. We pray that you help us live like that. Lord, we do not want to remove ourselves from your fellowship, from your love. Keep us in that love. Help us keep short accounts with you. Lord, help us and, and, and reveal to us the ways and in which we can change through your power. Lord, in all of this, we ask that we do it for your glory so that we bear fruit for you and that fruit remains. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.